The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your Game Master's permission before listening. Ah, uh, yes. The podcaster, Zenith Sloth, we've been waiting for you. That wasn't much of a rescue. You're welcome. And <coughs> Samakin Podcaster. I was expecting someone with your reputation to be a little older. General Grievous, you're shorter than I expected. <coughs> DM Scum. We have a job to do, Samakin. Try not to upset him. Your build will make a fine addition to my collection. Not this time. And this time you won't escape the Dark Times podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Dark Times, a Saga Edition podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite Magna Guard. And I'm Steven, a broadcaster who never forgets to hit the record button. That's right, folks. This is a rare... Uh- <laughs> A rare time where Steven didn't forget to hit the record button and we're recording this episode for the first time. Yeah, yeah. It's totally what we totally didn't get about 15 <laughs> minutes through the last take before I realized I didn't hit the big red button on my screen. <laughs> but we're good now. Well, we're back from both from Steven being out from Japan and also from just being out last week. Uh, Steven, how was Japan? Let's hear it. I'd like to hear it. We talked about it already, but I want the audience to hear it because I think it was a nice experience that you should share with them. Yeah, of course. Uh, Japan was, was, I, I barely have the words. Like it, it, the word on my mind, most of my time there was impossible. Like this was my first time out of the country. This was my first time, you know, in Japan, naturally. It was amazing. The, the, uh, and also the ability to like engage with pop culture that we're familiar with and that we love over here in its, in its native land was, was just absolutely stunning. And then even, you know, nerdy stuff that we enjoy, like, you know, Magic the Gathering or like Wargaming or RPGs, seeing that through the lens, a, a very different lens was was just mind-blowing stuff. Yeah, you got to experience the LGS, uh, but the international LGS. Yeah, a, a, there's nothing quite like a, a Japanese LGS. Um, I, I guess an ILGS. <laughs> that sounds like a Star Wars thing. It really, really sure. does. But yeah, it's uh, Japan is a, is a remarkably beautiful place with an extremely beautiful, friendly and, and hardworking people. I have to say it again because we said it in the first take and it was really funny. They, you went to universal studios and they took a picture. Oh of you yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm fairly tall and pale and blonde by, by some measures. So it's, um, it, I stood out a lot in Japan naturally. And there was a couple instances where, where this became a, a, a very, very important uh, encounter for some people. Not, not everyone, not even close to most people, but there was a group of teenagers at Universal Studios Japan who absolutely had to get my picture, had to know where I was from. Uh, while my girlfriend was in the bathroom, I was, I was approached by a group of maybe six to eight Japanese teenage boys <laughs> Who, you know, I, oh ma- my God, they would have taken your wallet, bro. Yeah, buddy. They, 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 you were all alone out there. They, maybe, luckily, I was in Hello Kitty land, so I felt pretty safe. But yeah, I, um, I, 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 they wanted to shake my hand. They were like, can we take a picture with you? And then they're like, can I put my arm around you? And it's like, <laughs> it was like meeting the president. It was like, I, I never had anyone so enthusiastic to see me, but also so respectful of my personal boundaries. 
but they, they were just electric. And maybe they mistook me for a celebrity. Maybe they were just that's Obi Wan Kenobi. Yeah, that's Obi Wan. <laughs> maybe they were just excited to see a to see. A, I wasn't the only white guy at the park by far. Like it's it's a it, maybe you were the handsomest white guy at the park. Maybe 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 the, I was wearing like I, you know I was dressed you know I was I was I was dressed up. I had my patch jacket on. I had I had the bondage pants on and the docks. You know maybe that was it. But oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> that's so that's great was, i'm glad you had a good time it was a good time i i i <laughs> can't wait to go back i i would not have traded that experience for anything it is eternally precious to me heck yeah well dark times international dark times japan dark times Keep japan dark times we made it <laughs> the dark times take japan that sounds really bad out of context <laughs> oh, man Steven, what are we talking about again? We're talking about <laughs> the auction, which was, if you recall, Sam, from both 15 minutes and five weeks ago, was a, is a Swissy adventure written by Swissy veteran and fan of the show, Alex Von D. I'm excited to present it because its availability elsewhere seems quite sparse if, if it's out there at all. Alex Van D had to actually reach into his own archive for us and like we usually do, Sam, uh, we covered like the first half ish of the module about five weeks ago at this point. And now hopefully everyone's had a chance to run it at their home tables. Right, guys? <laughs> <laughs> you had time for one game at least yeah. in the last five weeks, right? Yeah, right. right? <laughs> <laughs> you guys haven't been. We've been playing these along. Have you guys not been playing along? You're supposed to be playing along. There's going to be a quiz at the end of this podcast. <laughs> What did Steven say in episode 13? <laughs> do like listening God. comprehension checks at, at the end of every episode. Um, we should do it at the breaks. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, we're, we're back here now to cover the rest of the module, reveal the secrets, the rewards, the twists, the turns, and hopefully you love it. This module stands out to us because it has some special origins. This was written as a fan sequel to an official revised edition module published in Star Wars Gamer magazine way, way back in the day. I want to say 2003, 2004. It was created by Alex Von D in his circle and then shared with the public as a, as a Swissy module. So really, really I cool. believe there is an adaptation for the precursor to this module as well for Saga Edition. It isn't a revised edition yeah. or only module at this point. Maybe this module was a prequel to... That other module. Either this one's a prequel. This one's a prequel. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yes. A, this one's the prequel. Yeah. This is a prequel to an official module for yes. the previous edition of the game. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and drop the adventure synopsis again, describe the main players, and then do a short recap of where we are at in the adventure so you don't have to go back and listen to that whole episode. A group of adventurers is sent to a world on the outer rim where an ancient crashed ship has been discovered. The local government has decided to put the ship up for auction to the highest bidder. The adventurers must defeat their many competitors and gain access to the ship. A group of professors led by Professor Zerka, they intend to keep the site all to themselves. The United Beings for the Preservation of Antiquities, or UBPA, is a radical group of students from the same university as the professors. Sir Malthak is a very rich noble from the Core World whose pastime is competing with other collectors. Lorga the Hutt keeps losing to Sir Malthak, so he's going to hire thugs to beat up all the other bidders. Selen Mila desires to become a great and powerful force user steeped in the dark side. Last but not least, of course, is the party. So 
Last time we covered the module, the party got to make their initial bids for access to an ancient starship filled with mystery and potential treasure. They got to know the Scooby-Doo-esque caricatures above and were given opportunities to ally with or hinder them. Can I say that I think George Lucas's characters are also Scooby-Doo-esque caricatures? Oh, but... Without a doubt. I mean, all the Scooby-Doo he hides in the books around it. <laughs> George would be the first to admit that his characters are over the top pulpy, like inspired by by like mid-century storytelling, because that's what inspired him. That's sometimes he says that's exactly what he's going for. That's usually his response to criticism of his writing, mind you. But <laughs> actually, it's intentionally bad. Yeah, that's kind <laughs> that's of that's what I do too as a game master. Is that's pretty good advice. <laughs> God, you aren't right. What do you mean, guys? It was it, that wasn't a, a over the top character. He was pulpy. Come on, it's it's pulpy <laughs> yeah, sci fi, pulpy. guys. My overpowered GMPC is pulpy. Actually, <laughs> guys, it's camp. Come on. <laughs> Oh, man. After that, the bidders retire for the night, and the next day, the hut's clumsy but violent machinations interplay. The party is beset by thugs and given a chance to save one other group from a similar attack. All groups will survive without party intervention, except the students. Why? Why? Do we have a why, or is this just <laughs> it's to actually, make you feel bad? It's, it's, it's just <laughs> to make you feel bad. It's really interesting how it's presented in the adventure because the author is like okay here's a list of everything that will happen if the party uh doesn't choose to help this group they survive they survive they survive students die they survive like it's it's (laughs) he lists out in in like a full sentence every other group the professors you know malthack everyone surviving the attack and why they did but then the students it just says dead they die because they're students (laughs) Like the, all the other groups have resources to protect them. Like for example, the professors are able to bribe for extra security. The dark siders are dark siders. Yeah. 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 Malthak has bodyguard droids. I think that's described in the first encounter too. You you meet one even. Yeah. 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 So I, I, the, the justification of course, is that all the other groups have some means of, of protecting themselves from petty thugs, except the students. I just found it interesting that the author decided to list all of that individually, except just saying, that. Wait, so they they die? They die, dude. But in the module, when you're encountered by the thugs, they're using stun setting weapons. Yeah, but the other ones don't. <laughs> oh if, yeah. yeah. If you remember the, the the thugs like crash their their speeder. Yeah, it's just when you go to when you go to help the other ones. Yeah, they're like extra wily because they crashed or something and decided <laughs> and it's time them. to use lethal force. Yeah, that's <laughs> the thugs are not using lethal force against the party, but. For one reason or another, they decide to uh, on the second combat with them. Pretty great stuff. So that leads us to encounter three, the announcement of the winner. So who wins? Well, the module lists four different circumstances and, and thus winners of the bid, depending on the, let's say, playing field at this point in the module, which is pretty cool. We talked about, Sam, uh, one of our favorite things about this module is that it offers a lot of openness for choice. You know, we understand no module, nothing you plan ever or or present to players survives contact with the players. We we know this well. I've said this before. I think the best GM advice I've ever gotten, I don't remember who said this was, the only thing you should plan for is your party doing nothing. Wasn't that Rodney? Is that Rodney Thompson? That might have been Rodney. That might have been Really? That might have been me quoting Order 66 or that might have been Rodney. I definitely we maybe 
I think that may actually that might have been in our lexicon before Rodney. So who knows? I mean, I've I've known that for a long time, so I don't know who came up with it. Maybe I got it from you. Actually, I don't know. I think I would have gotten it from some YouTuber DM or something oh, like I think that. that. I think you're right. I think you did get it from a YouTuber. I mean, it's great advice. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. No, it is. This module is excellent at both really hammering home that there's going to be near limitless possibilities with this module, many of which could not be covered in the scope of a, of a 16 page word document. At the same time, it still provides a lot of support for kind of the main branches, the big decisions. It's really great at identifying kind of what are the big nodes of decisions in the story. It covers the big possibilities. Yes. Unlike that, uh, <laughs> Night Sister module we covered yes. a while back that felt very narrow in its scope of what could happen. We've covered modules before that that did acknowledge the the presence of limitless possibilities, but did not do much to address it and offered a linear and patchy story without much support for for branching off of it. However, this I think is a grand example of a very detailed yet open module. It's a, it's kind of a rare combo because it's a little bit of an oxymoron. So, who wins? Possibility one, the student hackers win if no one detects or interferes with their hacking and they actually arrive at the courthouse. Possibility number two, the professors will win with their bribe if no one detects them. You recall, Sam, the students installed a hacking program into the bidding system to ensure that they came out on top no matter what. If they're taken out, it doesn't work. The professors, as you recall, are also lining the pockets of the government organizers of the auction. Possibility number three is the hut will win if he does manage to bully and defeat everyone else. And number four is the largest remaining bid wins. But don't forget, Stephen, I don't know if you remember this from five weeks ago, mm -hmm. but we talked about the possibility that maybe the party hacks overwrites the students hack. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the options detailed in the, in the modules that the, the party can note the students hack and either rat them out or modify it for their own means. Really, that's 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 some RPG shit right there. Hell yeah. Everyone returns to the courthouse for the announcement. This is also the last chance to present proof of nefarious deeds and disqualify some contenders. This will require opposed persuasion checks or deception if the PCs fake the proof against the magistrate's will defense. With the remaining participants there, it could be that there are several opposed persuasion and deception checks. There are so many possibilities they can't all be listed here. You, as the GM, are going to have to be creative and run with it, reading directly from the adventure, of course. I mean, that's your advice as well. Yeah. You, you feel the same way. <laughs> that's a great, great line, I think, at the end. I think that could be pasted in, in probably every module ever. Maybe stitched on a pillow yeah. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> on a t-shirt. Be creative and run with it. I like that. That's good. Oh, yeah. Reminds me of some advice the Literalist gave us uh, during our, our interview with him recently. Encounter number four is Assault on the Sith Ship. So this is after the winner is determined, now the prize is at hand. However, the Darksiders are unlikely to win against any of the other bidders. After losing, they choose to assault the ship and steal what they want. The PCs might also choose to assault the ship. This encounter changes significantly depending on what the PCs have accomplished to this point. These are listed in order from easiest to hardest. If the PCs have actually won the auction, they get the ship to themselves for a significant length of time. They get to explore the ship thoroughly. They will have a chance to discover everything and could even disable or reprogram the Sith Warbot. <laughs> the what? <laughs> or, per 
or perhaps fight it by itself. If the PCs make some kind of deal with the other, this is the next possibility, by the way. If the PCs make some kind of deal with others to gain access, they only get a limited time to explore the ship. The other group may or may not be present and may give assistance or just cower. Give them a brief overview of the ship and allow each PC perhaps two opportunities to explore and act in various rooms to represent the limited time they have. The PCs might find the Sith Warbot and perhaps the other dark side items, but will not have time to do much with them. Number three, the PCs arrive at the ship at exactly the same time as the Darksiders. Perhaps they've tailed them or gotten a tip from security or one of the other groups. The actual owners of the ship are on board the ship and they may engage the PCs in combat too. The actual encounter with the Darksiders may take place outside the ship. It may also involve the local police. Possibility number four, and the hardest. The Darksiders have defeated the security and the owners and have gained complete access to the ship. The PCs get contacted by the local police who are trying to figure out who is attacking the ship, and they let slip that the ship is being attacked. By the time the PCs arrive, the Darksiders have accessed the Sith Warbot and got it on their side, making combat much harder. If you end up running the encounter outside, you have to make your own map. As with the encounters above, try to make the terrain interesting and rewarding to smart players. Planetary security has briefly entered each room, and the hut has also been through the ship, taking the Sith holocron. The ship is essentially undisturbed, though, and a fusion reactor has been tied to the ship's systems to provide light and air. A little work has been done on life support systems, but that's about it. So there's a map for this. There is a map for this, and it's a dead link, unfortunately. But it was made by none other than Christopher West, the guy who did the art for all of the official Swissy maps as they're printed in the books. The all we have to go off of for this map is deepwater.jpg. <laughs> which oh. after a brief glance around Christopher West's website, I don't see any map that this could be with the name of Deepwater. Um I have his complete collection. I didn't go through a full thumb of it myself. So it's possible that map is out there if it was one of the normal maps that Christopher West keeps published on his website. Um, if not, we're not sure. Alex Von D, if you're out there, could could you help us out? Maybe you still have the map. Maybe you know which one it is. Um, that would be great. If you, dear listener, not Alex, if you were on the forums back in the day and you were like, deepwater.jpg, this sounds fucking sick as hell. I'll download that. <laughs> and you've got it on a you've got it on a floppy disk somewhere. <laughs> Man. Oh man, that would be, uh, that'd be cool to find. It sounds like a pretty hefty map though. I wasn't expecting a multi-room ship to be honest. I was expecting maybe like a, you know, like a crash shuttle kind of thing where it's got like a one room deal going on. Yeah. But I like this. The adventure includes a 14 point legend for everything that's in the ship. There's like smashed crates that fill the cargo hold. You can find surveyor's equipment, you know, there, there's like loot tables here, like aquatic breathers, field kits, med packs. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out more about like what treasures are in here. The The Sith Warbot seems to be an elite Warbot from Threats of the Galaxy. It managed to tap itself into the power system and is now slowly recharging. It'll activate itself and enter combat at, <laughs> at a dramatically appropriate moment. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Because as a GM, like knowing when those moments are, is like second nature to me. You know, it's oh, like definitely. my spider sense, my GM sense. I, it's I always I, I love shit like that because I, I always wait for like the least convenient 
for the players, I was like, okay, when when is this the worst possible moment for something to happen? Oh, fuck. Fuck you, Steven. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Fuck you. We just did this. Listener, like four weeks ago, before Steven went to Japan, we had a session in our Zero Distance campaign where we had rescued two scientists from an underwater lab. We had ditched the, the stolen Imperial shuttle that we got, and we were finally resting on our laurels from rescuing these two guys. And then what does Mr. Sloth do then? Fucking a bunch of jet black rebel ships fly by and destroy a a giant factory. (laughs) And we're just like, Oh fuck. And then he's like, that's the end of the session. And I was like, fuck you. Fuck you, Steven. You ever hear of a stinger? You got to leave him wanting more. Your GM senses were tingling then. That's for sure. We were going to be gone for, we weren't going to have a session for like three and a half weeks. I had to keep you hooked somehow. (laughs) Yeah, because after three and a half weeks, we'd be like, you know what? I don't want to play Star Wars anymore. And said no one ever. It was a good session. It was a great session. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, That's, and Sith Warbot, that might be the treasure. I mean, the treasure sounds like the holocron, right? And the, the, the hut's already taken the holocron. It looks like there's some scrolls too. Oh, yeah. Scrolls worth 500 credits a piece, yeah. you know, stuff like that. That's great. The ship itself is probably worth a, a good chunk. Yeah, I'm not like sure parts. how salvageable the ship is meant to be. Like, it's got like a hole drilled into it and like it's apparently flooded. I, I suppose you could. Maybe. maybe there's data on the ship, like oh. in deep storage or something like that. It's like, oh, these are ancient writings or ancient texts. As a GM, you can. Oh, my God. What you do, Stephen. Here it is. What's up? You just sprinkle in your next plot hook as the treasure for the end of this adventure. Oh, yeah. It, it, that's point number 13 right here. It says that the scrolls, these can be used as hooks for the future adventures or connections to past ones as their contents are entirely up to the discretion of the GM. Holy shit. I'm a genius. Yeah, you, you're, you're one step <laughs> ahead, Sam. Alex, Alex, we're in the drift. Do you feel it? <laughs> me and you? Fuck Steven. It's just me and Alex now. We're in the drift. We're in the GM drift. <laughs> we're drifting in the GM fiat right now. Beep, beep. Well done. Uh, well, thank you, Stephen, for bringing that to us. Yeah, well, thank then, you, Alex, for making of it. Of course. Uh, seriously, uh, uh, props all around. This was a great module. I, I think it's it's a rare uh, example of how to provide plenty of detail in your module. Actually, you know, tell a distinct story that that came from your mind, while also accounting for the, the limitless possibilities that will emerge the moment the players get their hand on it. So, well done, well done, Alex. Andy. We we really appreciate it. Yeah, I like when we cover modules on this podcast, Stephen. I really like covering modules. We did have an email where someone suggested we do more loose. Do you? I don't know if you remember this. This was episode thirteen. Whoa. We did. I know, right? We did the Dawn of Defiance intro. We talked about it, and then we talked about what we would do different oh. for that. And that was kind of like the seeds of what's going to be the Dark Times module. We got an email from someone who said they would pref- they would like it if we did more loose story beats, mm. which. I know that's not what people listen to the show for because it's definitely more of a mechanics discussion GM help thing. But maybe as a second half, one of these days, we do another a quick and dirty on the fly uh, one shot. Oh, yeah. Just brainstorm story. Just ideas. the story. Yeah. Beats. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, it's a useful exercise, both, you know, for me personally and, and I think for the listener. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's in, improvisation is is a muscle that you have to. Oh, absolutely. You have to, you have to stretch flex. that shit. Yeah. And boy, do we flex that muscle on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, I fucking, I'm sore the next day. I, that might be from thinking too hard, but. Oh, definitely. <laughs> All right, let's send you guys off to the break. 
Uh, hey, welcome to the break. Um, this is the Sorry. part. <laughs> we took it. We took a little time to uh, look at uh, chairs we're, on Craigslist. We were literally Steven. looking at office chairs on Craigslist. <laughs> the things you do when you get older. Welcome to the break. This is the part of the show where we thank you for your support. And the easiest way to support the show is listening to the show. And for that, we are ever, ever grateful. Sam and I set out to do this as a hobby just for fun. Sam was like, I want you to make a podcast with me. And I'm like, who's going to listen? And Sam's like, no one. We're doing it. For, <laughs> we're doing it for fun. And I'm like, well, okay. And you guys have made it everything. This has been a life changing journey for us. Truly. I mean, there's hundreds of you guys that tune in and listen every week. And, and honestly, we, we couldn't, we're, we are baffled. We are speechless uh, and we are grateful. So, so thank you for that. We are entirely funded by listener contributions. This unfortunately is not a, a, a freebie world uh, podcast. It's not government funded podcast. Yeah, yeah no, we, there's no, no grants, no, no subsidies that, that, that aid us. Um, the George Lucas star Wars grant. We're still waiting for it. <laughs> we have a, uh, we have equipment costs. We have hosting costs. We have bandwidth costs. Um, we have nice chair costs. We have nice chair costs. Uh, this is also, you know, there, there's an opportunity cost as well. Sam and I actually do take, dedicated time out of our weeks time that we could be, you know, working at our regular jobs to sit down and record this podcast. So we have, we have listener contributions that we are entirely funded by. Um, and if you want to help out with that, we have the Patreon, which is largely a tip jar first and foremost, but there's a few exclusive things you can get by joining up there. There's some maps, there's some guides, there's some templates that are exclusive to Patreon members. There's a there's a cool exclusive episode of a commentary track for Caravan of Courage and Ewok Adventure. Yes, and we have thought about perhaps publishing a commentary track for the sequel. That might happen, that might not, we're not sure. Um, it will be the future home of the Dark Times module. Where is it? Well, we're looking for it. If you've seen her, <laughs> we had to let find us it know. out there yeah. <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away, man. We're still trying to hunt that shit down. Uh, and there was also another little tantalizing, tasty thing that Steven and I were thinking about doing for the podiversary. Um, I, well, we didn't talk about it on the show, but it is it has to do with our cool little dual rules we talked about with Little Literalist. Yes, yes. We maybe wanted... keep an eye out for that on there. Yeah, that, that's going to be a, a fun little treat for you, maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll see how you feel about it. <laughs> uh, and of course, you know, $5 tier on the Patreon gets you a sticker, an exclusive sticker designed by our own in-house artist. That is yours after three months of patronage. And on the $10 tier, you're entitled to a shirt and a sticker. What do you know? Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, fucking wow. Uh, other ways you can support the show, you know, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your show. And if you tell us you left a review at any of those places, we will shout you out on the show. Let's send them out uh, to the rest of the show, Stephen. Let's, let's, let's get on. Let's get a move on. See you there. Stephen. What's up? I've got an email. Oh, boy. I love emails. Yeah. Email. Email. This one's from Ben. Sam and Stephen. Still enjoying the great content. Hope your trip to Japan goes well. Of course I know him. He's me. <laughs> Ben? <laughs> when I was listening to today's episode, you brought up giving flat-footed condition for deceptive step. This came up in a game just a couple weeks ago in my group. With a Malkite Poisoner build I have going, the numbing poison gives denied dexterity while the target is poisoned. For most situations, it doesn't matter. But for Jedi, it can be a big difference. Block and deflect cannot be used while flat-footed, but can be used while denied dexterity. 
Since feint is a full round action, making them flat-footed may be a bit much in a duel. If anyone's interested, my Poisoner is a former Separatist privateer. I built him wanting to trip with charisma. <laughs> this sounds so funny out of context. It really is. With the Shock Whip, you make a second attack to grapple at the same time, at the same modifier as the attack that hits. He's also caused our GM to ask how many free actions you can take in a turn. As many as you want, baby. (laughs) He can make a whip attack, free grapple, free offhand pistol from being a master privateer, persuasion from manipulating strike slash rant, plus his move and swift actions. As a feline, his pheromones count as poison, but they can't be used against hostile targets, so they have to be used before combat. His S5 heavy blaster has poison, or he can apply poison on his vibroblade as a standard action. Thanks for all the great content, Ben. I love, this is a good, old-fashioned, stupid build. (laughs) Stupid with a PH, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't not bring this build onto the show after reading that that paragraph, right? Like, it was impossible not to. Already, congratulations, Ben. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. So Ben brought us Czar Kress, Feline Scoundrel 5, Noble 3, Assassin 3, Master Privateer 1. Uh, Feline have this special feature called pheromones. As a standard action, a Feline can make a special attack against any adjacent creature. The attack modifier is equal to the Feline's character level plus their charisma modifier. If the attack equals or exceeds the target's fortitude defense, that target moves minus one step along the condition track. If the attack fails, the target's immune to the Feline's pheromones for 24 hours. When the target's reduced to a total of minus five steps, instead of falling unconscious, the, uh, the target's attitude improves to friendly. <laughs> it's really, what a concept. Pheromones function as an inhaled poison. Any creature holding its breath is unaffected. And it says a creature can be affected by Feline pheromones only once per round. Multiple exposures to pheromones from different Feline in the same round only <laughs> produce no additional effects. Lastly, a hostile creature cannot be targeted by this effect. Now, I think that's really weird because it moves you down the condition track. Like you feel it happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, am I going to be like, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm sick for no reason. It must have been that Feline I was just talking to. Well, uh, to be to be a devil's advocate, it might be difficult, depending on the circumstances, to pin down exactly why you suddenly feel That's fair. Worse. That's fair. <laughs> I also, I love the idea that it can't be used on a hostile target. Yeah. Like, am I just closing my nostrils when we're in battle? What's the deal Maybe there? you're just so <laughs> fucking pissed at the Feline that it doesn't matter. You're so mad. It's definitely a, a concession to make it a little more balanced. Um, and oh, absolutely, but, right. But like, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't like make any fucking sense. I love it. I love it as a concept. It's great. We've got the noble fencing style. This is one of my favorite talents. I don't know why. Well, I know why, but glad to hear it. Yeah. Prerex trained in deception and persuasion. This style of swordplay uses wit and force of personality to increase accuracy, taunting and distracting an opponent with feints, misdirection and deception. When using a light melee weapon or a lightsaber that you're proficient with, you can use your charisma modifier instead of your strength modifier on attack rolls. Charisma-based fighter, charisma-based fighter, charisma-based fighter. <laughs> Anyone who, who, all my fans out there who follow me very closely and have like my, my special fan club magazine and the, and the posters Stephen on the wall. Weekly. Stephen Weekly. Know that my favorite build is the charisma fighter because it's hacky. It's not the best and it's, <laughs> and it's, 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 it's fun so, to role play always. <laughs> it's so cool and so fun. I love the idea of uh, making physical attacks with a non-physical stat. It's just, it's so neat to me. 
it's really funny that the Stephen Weekly uh, magazine only comes out once a month. (laughs) (laughs) Got to keep them on their toes. Yeah, man. Which week is it going to come out? We don't know. (laughs) That's so funny. Uh, up next, we have the shock whip. I don't know if we talked about the shock whip in the past. I feel like we have not. It's It does exactly what it says in the tin. It's a whip that shocks you. <laughs> a shock whip is a melee weapon with a reach of two squares. That's awesome. When you hit with the shock whip, the target takes normal damage from the weapon. Also on a whip, you can choose to make a grab attack as a free action against the target using the whip, provided the target is no more than one size category larger than you. Unlike a normal grab attack, you make a second attack roll at the normal attack bonus with the shock whip, and you do not take a minus five penalty on the attack roll. If the second attack roll hits, the target is grabbed. As a swift action once per turn, you can automatically deal 2d6 energy damage to a target grabbed by the shock whip. No additional attack roll required. Mind-blowing, first of all. Yes. (laughs) If you have the trip feat, you can choose to use the shock whip to knock the target prone instead of making a grab attack. While grabbing a target with the shock whip, you cannot use the weapon to make attacks against any other targets, obviously. It's a shock whip. It's not a Jawa uh, mace. <laughs> wow. Do you like Do you see it in your mind? I do. Jawa? I do. Oh, <laughs> just, like, just spinning back in the centripetal force. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that out of my, uh, <laughs> of my brain. That there. was stellar. Thank you. Uh, this I love the shock whip. This is really cool. Uh, up next, we got Blaster and Blade 1 from the Privateer Talent Tree. Prerequisites, Dual Mastery 1, Weapon Proficiency with Advanced Melee Weapons, and Weapon Proficiency Pistols. When you make a single attack with an Advanced Melee Weapon as a standard action, you can immediately make an attack with a pistol as a free action, provided you have both the at- Advanced Melee Weapon and the pistol in your hands when the melee attack is made. You apply the normal penalties for fighting with two weapons to both of these attacks. This isn't fucking once per combat either. This is fucking whenever you attack with an advanced melee weapon. Just another turn that ends in and <laughs> All of them? All of them. <laughs> My turn, your turn, our turn. <laughs> <laughs> Up next we have the S5 Heavy Blaster Pistol. This is from the Web Enhancements, specifically the miniatures game preview of Web Enhancements. This is basically a two-shot ascension gun with a pistol form factor. Uh, It mentions the uh, liquid cable dispenser. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? There's a new fucking weapon in this game every week. I swear (laughs) to God. The time, it's the time stream is being affected. It's the the butterfly effect. Discord, someone will be like, hey, I heard of the the, the Z-Door Star Stinger. And I'm yeah, like, Luke Skywalker used it to kill a dude in a bar yeah. in Legends. And I'm like, no, you're making, that's got to be a homebrew weapon on the wiki. You're making that up. And I'm like, oh, published in, oh, the Rebellion Era campaign guide 20 years ago? Sure. <laughs> it was on the table in the background of the cantina scene. Yeah, and just- <laughs> literally. It mentions that the liquid cable dispenser in this gun can ensnare a target, but it does not mention any, like, mechanics-wise how that happens. <laughs> that's, that's average Swissy equipment. And to fucking, just to put a hat on a hat, the S5 Heavy Blaster Pistol carries 10 micro darts, which can be fired at a range of six squares. And when fired in this manner, the Blaster Pistol deals 1d2 piercing damage and inflicts paralytic poison. So it's a gun that's got built-in poison darts. (laughs) (laughs) How does this thing fit uh, energy cell in it, is my question. (laughs) I I don't know, man. This is the fucking doohickey gun. Like, what is this? (laughs) It's that shit that redacted, redacted. Shinzo Abe, the, the, hot, the hot crime lord. Oh, no. 
<laughs> oh man. Up next, we've got manipulating strike from the the Geno Haradon talent tree. Once per turn, when you successfully damage a target with a non-area attack, make an intimidate persuasion check against the target's will defense. If successful, you determine what the target does with its swift action on its next turn. This is a mind-affecting effect. And lastly, we've got Rant from the Exile Talent Tree. Prerequisite is training and persuasion. You are a master of voicing your opinion loudly, continuously, and distractingly. It's such a good, it's such a good flavor. You must text. be a podcaster. I know, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> if you succeed in making a persuasion check to intimidate an enemy that is within six squares of you and that can hear, see, and understand you, you can deny that enemy the use of a move action on its next turn instead of gaining the normal intimidation results. It's so good. You grant one ally a move action to use immediately. That ally uses the move action as a reaction. Steven. Yeah. Would you say that when you use rant, when you do the manipulating strike... Do you get, do you, do you like not also choose what they do with the swift action? Cause that's part of the normal intimidation results let's, or let's take it. Let's take it. Let me do a close read. I'm pulling up me, to you with yeah. my Uber light on. This is the GM Fiat. Yeah. 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 Get in the I'm, back. I'm loser. checking your license plate. Give me a sec. Hmm. Make an intimidate <laughs> Why are you checking my license plate? Always, oh, to make sure the, I'm yeah, the driver. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah. Determine that the target does. Okay. Okay. The key words to my decision will be make an intimidate persuasion check. Now, now hold that there. If you succeed, make a persuasion check to intimidate. Oh God. Now here, now we can have, <laughs> we could have a, we could have like a six day long form debate. If uh, on the subject of if make an intimidate persuasion check and a persuasion check to intimidate are the same thing. <laughs> these, you know, you can tell these were like separate source books, by the way. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Steven, I need you to make a ruling. Office. We're coming up to the overpass and okay, I got to turn. You chill the fuck out. I'm, I'm Steven, still Steven, I'm thinking. on the freeway. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say these trigger together. That's so yeah. an attack. You choose like, hey, your move action, you're not going to move. No. And your swift action, you just can't use it. Like, yeah, I, I think I think you can use these talents at the same time. Action manipulation on top of being poisoned. Like this is insane, right? Horrible. That's crazy. It's a stupid, <laughs> stupid build <laughs> with a pH. Yeah. Uh, there's so much more here. The Malkite poisoner talent tree that we went over a while back. The assassins mark class feature that we covered just five weeks ago. <laughs> Dual weapon fighting and dastardly strike. It's really an impressive build. So impressive. I think Ben might want to submit it in our assassin class build bounty. Oh shit. Oh yeah. You know, you know it. I just did that. I just did that. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking chill out. I know. Fucking I know. Hollywood writer like comes for the dark times. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's building right behind me, isn't he? <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You heard it folks. Assassin class build bounty. It's been a long time requested. It's been a long time coming here. It is. You asked for it. So what that means, we want a level 12 build with at least one level in assassin. Those builds are going to be due to us Sunday, November 26th. That's the the Sunday right after American Thanksgiving. For those who care. Yeah, for those who care. We need builds in by 11.59 p.m. that night, Sunday night. Understood? We good? Before before midnight. If there, we don't fucking count, no, it's fine. But you get it. There's a <laughs> deadline. Please make it. Voting will start at the at the episode release that week on the 29th. Absolutely. You and Ben, if you're listening and you want to use your Feline assassin here for this build bounty, just let us know. Yeah, we'll yeah. Absolutely we'll, include it. We'll reach out 
via email too, Ben. But yeah, if you're listening to this, let us know if you want this to be your entry. We'll we'll, we'll count that because we 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 love this build so much. We think it would be unfair to not let you enter the build contest at Inspired. So yeah, but we also might be biased now too. Um, uh, no, never mind. It's not. We don't. We don't pick the. <laughs> we don't pick the showcase highlights. That's no. for sure. Alrighty, um, Stephen. Yeah, what's up? Time for it's trivia, been a while. Right? Oh, no, no, you wish. It's been a while, <laughs> and I'm going to do this because I must. I must, God. Stephen. Oh Jesus! I have to. This might be easy though. Uh, this is a little game I like to call "Name That NPC or I Literally Kill You." Stephen has three chances to ask a yes or no question and provide a guess with each yes or no question about a NPC stat block that I have brought today. Let's uh, let's go. Steven, this is from the Star Wars Saga Edition Web Enhancements Star Wars Miniatures Preview, the second time oh, we're seeing this today. Okay. Uh, affiliations, Luke Skywalker. This is a medium human light side spirit Jedi 7, Jedi Knight 5, Jedi Master 3. I have a guess. Yeah, you have a question first? Yeah. Is, um, is this a version of a character that appears in other supplements? Yes, before you put your answer, though, I also want to mention this is a CL0 <laughs> character. <laughs> Why does this character have a miniature? <laughs> That's probably more important than the fact that we know what the character... I mean, we know what the character is, right? Yeah, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? It's Obi-Wan... It's yeah. old Ben Kenobi. It's old Ben Je- Kenobi as a ghost. <laughs> Obi-Wan Kenobi Jedi spirit. <laughs> wow. That might be the quickest one yet. <laughs> I just, I saw it. So what's crazy about this stat block, and this is from, this is, this is from the miniatures preview. Yeah. It includes all of his talents and feats, but they are strike through that like you can't use them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that is how light side spirits work. I, this might be the only like published light side spirit stat block because there's light side spirit rules and they're very detailed and, and they appear to be fully realized here but yeah the, it's <laughs> on a, the wiki this is the only light side spirit page other than the light side spirits page yeah and it's the only one that I know of that, that that's was ever published and it was for the fucking miniatures game they used an, a relatively obscure rule set from the RPG and then put it back in the miniatures game that it was marketed beside <laughs> That's so, it's so funny. So technically. You've got two flavor quotes. <laughs> technically he can use serenity, which I think is funny. Yes. <laughs> because he's a ghost, I guess. Um, it's, it's so, oh, I guess he does have enlightened and far seeing. That's yeah. pretty neat. Yeah. You can do some stuff as a light side spirit. It's not That's like you're meant cool. to play this as a, as a player character. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just think it's so funny. <laughs> Yeah, uh, thank you, Stephen, for doing a great job. You live another day. Honestly, oh, that was God. kind of a gimme, but I, I just thought it was worth bringing up because it was such a weird... I was looking at CL0 stat, heroic stat blocks, and I, I was like, oh, here we are. Amazing stuff. <laughs> so funny. Uh, Stephen, do you have any trivia for us this week? I do. During the shot in which Salacious B. Crumb, the small, annoying rat... <laughs> Indeed, that one. The small, annoying, rat-like thing that sits on Jabba in his palace, this, this is verbatim from the trivia, by the way, is chewing off C-3PO's eye. Anthony Daniels had a panic attack while in the C-3PO suit. While filming, he didn't actually say his lines, all of his lines were dubbed in post-production anyway, but repeated, get me up, get me up, over and over. 
This is the take used in the final cut. He was in the suit for that? I feel like... I can't believe he was in the suit for the scene where he's attacked in the face by a rat. By a puppet rat. By a puppet rat. No wonder he had a panic attack, the poor guy. Yeah. Did they tell him it was going to happen? Yeah, like seriously. <laughs> I I feel like every other st- story about Anthony Daniels I hear like turns changes my opinion about him 180 degrees. Like you'll hear some stories where he's like, oh, he's kind of like douchey about Star Wars or whatever, which whatever. I think he has a right to be douchey about Star Wars. Everyone does. And then you'll hear other stories about how he was asleep in a tree. <laughs> it's like I always hear stories of him being tortured on set. And then in the interviews, he was like, oh, it was a right good time. It was. <laughs> then we have panic attack attacked by a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Oh, that's so good. Thank you so much, Stephen. Of course. That was a particularly <laughs> shiny golden nugget of trivia, I think. A very Absolutely. more perplexing than informative, I think. <laughs> I used it in the final cut. That's so that's brutal. That's yeah, like what if insult you have a panic injury. attack in the suit and your fucking director uses it in the final cut? Like that's some horror movie director <laughs> shit. Some fucking the shining shit. That's so funny. Oh man, the Dark Times of Saga Edition podcast is produced and edited by me, Sam. Stevens, my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Tell someone about the show and tell us you told them about the show and tell your whole table about the show and tell us you told your table about the show and we'll shout you guys all out on the show. Steven, do you have any quote for us this week? I was too, if you remember. <laughs> From a certain point of view... What the fuck was that quote, Stephen? <laughs> that's that's from when uh, that's that's when when uh, when Yoda is like, Luke, he he sucks to to Luke. Oh, about and then <laughs> he's like, too headstrong. Yeah, <laughs> he will never learn. <laughs> it's always always you know the prequels add like they always do add a really interesting uh, perspective to that scene because it's he like, lied, huh? Because he wasn't like that. <laughs> oh yeah, he wasn't like that at all. It was just <laughs> yes, one of the so dozens the of lies Obi Wan tells in the, in the original trilogy. <laughs> Yoda knows, dude. Yoda was there. Yeah, Yoda, Yoda fucking practically was was right by his side when his master died and shit. Like Obi Wan was the model Jedi. Like that's the maybe he means when point. he was like a youngling or something. Maybe Yoda had more impact then, so maybe he was more headstrong. Maybe. But that's just calling Luke childish, which he is. I mean, yeah. I mean- <laughs> Strange, strange. But yeah, it's funny that you said from a certain point of view, because th- that's that's what Obi-Wan says when Luke points out that he's been lying to him the whole time. <laughs> what I told you was true from a certain point of view, like a fucking Dr. Seuss book. Yeah, that's, that's the, it's the most like fucking manipulative, like toxic family member. Like, Welcome to the Jedi Order. <laughs> yeah, fucking seriously. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good job, buddy. And you made sure to record that whole thing this time?